Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. Was that pleasant for you <laughs> on this struggling Sunday? Yeah, you missed the uh, the first five minutes pre pre recording oh when it we was had a nasty. preamble. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. I told you. I knew welcome it. to the podcast. It's such a pleasant way See? to start. It worked. We're having some technology. We. I am having yeah. some technology <laughs> issues, and we just decided to get started anyway mm-hmm. because. That's okay. I had my turn when we were doing the live podcast, yeah. so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> this is payback. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, so welcome to the show, guys. We're going to start our first start arf. We're going to start Shunday's sure. podcast. Yes. Um, first, we're going to say thank you to Side Street Studio Arts and Elgin Fringe Festival for having yeah. us. So fun. <laughs> the live show, if it isn't already up, will be going up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. soon. That was so. That was a good time. That was yeah. probably one of my favorite episodes we've done in a very long time. Really? Yeah, I don't know. There's something because about that one. Because we ended it on a big downer. I know. But there was just something about that one that I was like, mm, mm-hmm. yes. It yes. just felt very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like when people... it enraged some people in the audience. So yeah. that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as always, Fringe was was a real good time. Mm-hmm. You guys will be able to hear that episode. So. Yeah. Cool. I stuck around and saw a bunch of really great shows. Yeah. I was so exhausted, but I was like, yeah. But we ended the night with Sabi the Clown, which was punk rock burlesque oh, drag. Yeah. And I came home with about 10 pounds of star confetti in my bra. So Jesus. that was magnificent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. Good times. Um, <laughs> so I am currently working off of my phone this episode. It's fine. This a shot. Um, <laughs> We're adaptable. Yes. Adapt, <laughs> overcome, improve. And barely survive. <laughs> barely. Just barely. Um, so I guess news and stuff. News. Let's head over to the newsroom. So much enthusiasm in the newsroom. <laughs> Let's head over to the newsroom. 
Is that more? Yeah. Is that better? Okay. Um, So this week, our news comes from the border. Oh, which border? (laughs) The southern border. Okay. (laughs) This is a Texas border crossing. Okay. 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 There is a woman uh, driving an SUV across the Paso del Norte border into El Paso, Mm -hmm. um, who claimed to Border Patrol that she only had 10 wheels of cheese in her car. 10 wheels of cheese. 10 wheels. It's a lot of cheese. It's a lot but, of queso. That is a lot of queso. <laughs> but when they looked uh, into her car, like when they inspected the car, mm-hmm. they found 50, <gasps> 50 wheels of undeclared cheese. Oh, So she had no. 60. I'm sure that's probably a crime to have six, that many wheels. <laughs> contraband cheese. Yes. What kind of cheese was it? Um, I don't know that it's I need to know specified. the kind. I know. <laughs> um, so it's 60 total wheels that weighed about 100 pounds. Oh, my gosh. That's so much cheese. Of course, you can obviously bring cheese into the United States mm-hmm. if you want to. But, like, it has to be a reasonable consumption mm-hmm. for one person. Yeah. I mean, and that amount, I could eat that much cheese. <laughs> I, right. Like, you don't know me. Like, yeah, I could you eat that. <laughs> know me. <laughs> um, but 60 wheels of cheese is considered commercial. Yes. So, but like, you're you're selling this cheese on the street corner, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, they, the cheese was taken by authorities. <laughs> and the woman was given, let me see, I think it was a $1,000 fine. The cheese was seized and destroyed. Destroy! I know. I know. <laughs> I'm heartbroken. That was the worst part of this story for me. Oh my god. Um, and yeah, she received a thousand dollar civil oh penalty. Did they destroy it as in all of the border patrol people ate it? Isn't oh. that just um <laughs> what's the name of the cheese that they set on fire? I mean there's lots of cheese. <laughs> they set on um, fire. Saganaki. Uh, Saganaki is, that is okay, that's Greek. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean still. It's like Mexican Saganaki. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sure. I mean, but if it's queso fresco, you can't set that on fire. <laughs> how else? How else would you destroy it? I don't know. Garbage. Put it in a grater. Then you just have shredded cheese. Just shredded cheese. All right. We're gonna move on to Netflix and Kill, which this week is HBO and Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you have been waiting to oh, talk about this. God. But we're gonna talk about the anarchists. <sighs> Uh, so for those oh. that don't know, The Anarchist is a series on HBO you that mean the capitalists that <laughs> that follows um, this group of people who claim to be anarchists that decide to have this like conference in Acapulco. What's it called, Vicky? I have no idea. I haven't watched you it. You didn't watch it? Oh, no. it's like it's like in the main description. It's called Anarchapoco. Oh my god! Yeah, just the name of that. I was like, I hate it already. I know this is one that I. I've been really lacking on my true crime docs recently. You will but. scream the entire time, I guarantee. <laughs> um, there was some shit that goes down. So much shit. Like, I don't know. There was like rioting and a murder and some other shit, uh, right? A little Bitcoin problems, stolen Bitcoin. <laughs> so what? tell us your thoughts on this. Uh, First of all, the, I forget the guy's fucking name who is the one who created it because he's such a douche canoe. But... They're, to clarify, I said capitalists because they are anarcho-capitalists, which is not true anarchism at all. They intend to make money, but they don't use 
state sh- it's like sanctioned money they use bitcoin mm-hmm. so really the whole thing is like a bitcoin fucking commercial for the beginning and it's all about that stupid canadian guy's like thoughts and feelings yeah. about anarchism he is very much a talking head he has like blogs and does a lot of like podcasts and stuff about anarcho-capitalism but he decides to create this conference in Acapulco because he moves down there because he's like Acapulco is like the true anarchist haven and i'm like no it's not. Okay. It is yeah. the most touristy area of fucking Mexico. Right. Besides Cancun, you dickhead. <laughs> like everything everything about it I hate. The conferences are full of just like people who think they know what they're talking about, like but it's just random people talking about things that they like and feel. It's not anyone who's like actually important or doing anything important. Yeah. And the Bitcoin thing is they had someone bring down like a Bitcoin ATM, but it was stolen. And okay. so there's like all of these crimes happening. Someone gets killed. Well, and they were like, they had this association with BitClub that yes. was this entity that later turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. Yes. The entire thing um, is a fucking Ponzi scheme. I'm sorry. Yeah. Digital currency is fucking Ponzi scheme. Like, every- First yeah. of all, money in general is fake, but that's like truly, really fake because it's nothing. Yeah. There's not even anything tangible. And they're like, oh, that means you're super free. I'm like, no, that means it's super easy to fuck with people. Like it it can be stolen and it goes off the basis of the fucking stock market. No. I know. That's it's... not anarchism and that's not freedom. Anyway, it enrages me. So, But if you want to rage watch something... As I do. I, wanna, did. I do want to rage watch it because it's um, just the whole time you're just like, really, dude? What are you even saying? And there was like a couple who helped him with the conference, and their whole family fucking fell apart. Basically, everyone who was involved in this, their entire lives fell apart. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So anarchism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting around to watching this one. But this just next on my just list, be but. wary. It's that's not real anarchism. It's not. They need to stop saying that. It's not. It's like almost being a libertarian, to be perfectly honest. Oof. Yeah. Oof. It's borderline libertarianism. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you want to watch this on your own, you can find it on HBO. Um, It's called The Anarchists. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. This week, we're going to be talking about some troubling stuff. Yeah. I would say... If you have any medical ailments, you might not want to listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. If medical stuff freaks you out, don't listen. Mm -hmm. Um, What are we talking about today, Janelle? So I thought we'd take a look at what is considered one of the most trusted professions, I would say, in in the world. Yeah. uh, And crimes related to that. So we're going to talk all about bad doctors. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is a fun one. Um, I mean... You know, as fun as, as it can get. As fun as going to as the doctor as it is. Get. Yeah. Um, I'm very, like, I would say I'm very leery of doctors and the healthcare system, especially in the states that we live in. Um, but I've had a, my fair share of, you know, doctors misdiagnosing me, mm-hmm. um, suggesting unnecessary surgeries, you know, all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was in my 20s, I went to the hospital and I was having, like, lower right side pain. And the doctor, I shit you not, we're in the hospital they walk in and they're like, we did a, you know, we, we scanned, did your blood test. You know, it could be your appendix. Mm-hmm. We're not really sure. Like, what do you think? 
would you want to get your appendix taken out? I'm like, are you asking my opinion? Yeah, right. About if I want my appendix taken out? Dude, I'm like, what you are you me. talking about? <laughs> I was like, nah, you're the doctor, bro. Like, you need to tell me if I need to take it out. So he was so unsure if it was my appendix. He's like, I'm leaving the choice up to you. And I'm like, that tells me Oof. that you have no fucking idea what's going on here. So yeah. I said hard no. And then I went home and uh the moral of the story is it turns out there was a cyst in my ovary oh, and not Jesus. at all anywhere remotely close to my appendix. And that's how I learned where the appendix is. <laughs> and, and this is how I learned about my organs. And how the pain radiates in your body. It doesn't go down. It goes up and around. Yeah. So oh my I was God. like, cool, cool, cool. And the fact that I'm a woman, they don't take into consideration any of your you know organs below your belly button they're like it couldn't be those things yeah right that's just for babies oh my god um so you know it's it's a struggle and i've had family members and relatives and stuff like who have had gauze left inside of them people who have botched the deliveries of babies in my family like my sister almost died twice from having her children so yeah just doctoring, you yeah. know, just typical doctor stuff. I do. I Before we get too far, mm-hmm. I do want to say, like, obviously, we're not speaking about everybody in the medical profession. Yeah. There are people it's out just, there who do a very good job, but you need to be aware. Yes. Like, you have to get second opinions. Yeah. Is the moral of the story that I've learned over the course of my lifetime is. Yeah. Ask a second opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it's can't not, hurt. It's not something that should be, like, embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's you got to look out for yourself. Overall, I trust doctors, but, like, I've also had to cultivate doctors that I trust, you know, like, find Mm -hmm. these people up. So, anyway, just use caution. It takes a lot of effort on the sick person's part to have things taken seriously. And, honestly, more in the case of, like, me, it's – I only see female doctors now. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. There is an issue with people not taking women's pain seriously. Yeah. And why that increases the mortality rate of a female. So I only see women doctors because of that. Sure. But I just can't, you know, I just can't trust everything, you know, and especially a profession that came out of like feeling humors and like giving haircuts while performing surgery. You know, I'm a little leery. Dr. Barber. Yeah, I'm a little leery of, of doctors in general, but. I wanted to take a, case, a look at a case of a particularly interesting grifting vagabond doctor named Dar- Dr. Mark Weinberger. Okay. So uh, Dr. Weinberger uh, was an ENT, which if you're not familiar, is an ears, nose, and throat specialist. Yes. Um, and usually you see that if you're having like sinus issues, like swallowing problems, you have to get ear tubes, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Considered going to an ENT mm-hmm. occasionally. Yeah, so I Shit had to go to really one. bad. I'm like, yeah, I had to go to one to check out my sinuses because I have a deviated septum um, from a car accident. Mm. So I have to get that checked out all the time, and you know, it can increase your allergies and all that good stuff. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's gross. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> human body is gross. Juice, yeah. yeah. So uh, Weinberger was raised in a prosperous New York suburb as a child, and his parents ran a very like luxurious food packaging company they were super fucking rich um and he went on to attend the university of pennsylvania and then the ucla medical school and after schooling he went on to work with a really prominent chicago plastic surgeon sometimes there is a little bit of crossover between ents and plastic surgeons because ents can reconstruct the nose Mm. that's what happens when you have um, a deviated septum they have to cut into you and like 
push back the middle part of the inside of your nose. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> it's not fun. But yeah. Um, and, and you have to breathe through your mouth for like months and that's disgusting. Oh, God. So he worked with this particular plastic surgeon for a while. And in that time, he had married once and was quickly divorced from them. He wasn't really like, you know, looking for a woman, but he found one and it was kind of like a rushed kind of marriage. It just mm-hmm. wasn't good overall. But in 2000, he would meet his second and final wife, Michelle. She was 12 years younger than him, uh, 25, and was in grad school. Only a month after starting to date, they moved in together. Um, He was taking her on very expensive trips to Miami, like flying all over the place. Oh, God. And within the next year, they were married. So another very fast courtship marriage. It was at this time he decided to open his own practice in Indiana. Michelle didn't have to work, and she just focused on her studies. And now that uh, Mark was already making a great deal of money at his private practice, you know, she didn't have to worry about anything. She could just concentrate on going to school. Yeah. And he made so much money that they got when they got married, they were able to have three wedding recep- receptions. Damn. They okay, did. so he's making, like, yeah. bank. They had two receptions in Chicago and one in Italy. Okay, that's oh, that's not excessive at all. Yeah. yeah, and he would shower his wife with really expensive gifts and trips on private jets, like just like making her live the best life she could. Oh my God. Um, they eventually bought their own seventy-nine foot powerboat yacht. Oh wow! And would sail the Mediterranean often. Wow, hard life. Yeah, I know. So did hard I life. <laughs> During all of God, this. God, this shit really pisses me off. Yeah, because I'm right, over here right struggling to find an yeah. apartment. Yeah, and you're There's like 75 like, foot powerboat. Yeah. Live on that. Jesus. <laughs> I will. I mean, if you're giving it away, I'd live on a boat. Right? <laughs> so during all of this, Michelle was never once included in any financial decisions for the couple. She was never given or saw a bill or even had a bank account with her husband. Yeesh. Um, which is not a terrible thing. Like I, you know, I believe in having separate bank accounts for I just yourself. Feel like <laughs> if something were to go wrong, not saying mm-hmm. it would, but like this is the same reason why you get prenups, right? Like yeah. if something were to go wrong, have like your own fucking bank account. You kind of <laughs> need to make sure, yeah, that you can take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's actually like a really common practice with at least people of my age that I know of. Yeah. He really has a shared bank account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but She never saw a bill. She didn't share a bank account. And she equated this with being wealthy. She's like, people are doing all these things for us. We don't have to lift a finger. We have a financial advisor. The bills just take care of themselves because we're wealthy. They just take care of themselves. They just pay themselves. Sometimes the disconnect that rich people have is like, do you even know what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) How wrong it sounds. It was after all of this, she started to see a little bit of a change in Mark after a few years. He began to become obsessed with being, like, fit and was strictly adhering to the South Beach diet and was, like, obsessively working out. He then became obsessed with having the newest, most expensive technology, which was, at this time, a very fancy BlackBerry phone. (laughs) Dude, I kind of wanted a BlackBerry when Mm -hmm. I was, like, that was the cool, like, very, it was very very upscale. keypad, you know? Yeah. The internet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But one day after um, coming home from a trip for her graduate program, she suddenly realized uh, coming into the house that there was an alarm system and keypads for the alarm system in every room and a safe in every room. She hadn't noticed this before? No, because it happened while she was gone. 
Oh. So she was on her trip and she came home and all of a sudden there was all of this security equipment and a bunch of safes in all of the house. Weird. She's like, what? She was highly suspicious and this seemed like really erratic behavior for Mark. So she was really concerned. She then learned that Mark was facing a few malpractice lawsuits. <laughs> he convinced her that it was just sad people who were after his wealth. So he decided to kind of put some security in, hide a little bit of the cash in the safe just in case anything went wrong. They would have a backup plan and they would be secure. This is so, like, I feel like the uh, the this excuse is so common with... Mm-hmm. People who probably have done something wrong, but are like, where it's just like, it's just these people out to get me. Like, yeah. they just hate me because I'm me type mm-hmm. of thing, which sounds very familiar. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. But like, really? It's like those sad people over there. They're, they're just trying to, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's usually not. <laughs> whatever, but. yeah. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Michelle believed him as he was always, like, super generous to her, super kind to her, taking, you know, their families on trips and stuff. But also, like, that's your family. Mm -hmm. So, like, not a super big gauge of, like, how nice a person is. Right. Right. (laughs) Now, the following year, Michelle would get pregnant and then have a miscarriage. This was when things started to change rapidly. Mark became distant and cold. Things started spinning out of control. They were fighting all the time and they didn't spend much time with one another at all. And, you know, it's understandable with like, you know, you have a bunch of malpractice lawsuits, you lose a child, it's like really heavy, things get really tense. So, you know, that tests a marriage and that tests a couple. Yeah, yeah. But to remedy this... Rich people doing what rich people do. They decided to take a trip, bitch. Oh, my God. And they were going to go to the Med for Michelle's 30th birthday. So they took their yacht. They went to the Mediterranean. And they were sailing to Turkey and to Greece. And they were meeting friends. And it was just like a big fun party time. And then to end the trip, they decided that they were going to sail around um, by themselves on their yacht just kind of being romantic together. Of course, Cute. it's not quite romantic because in order to have a 79-foot powerboat, you need an entire crew. Yeah. So there was still an entire crew and a captain and, like, maids and stuff. Sure. But they're, <laughs> but they're used to that. That's just, right? like, Those their people are like they're, they're like the wallpaper, you know? Oh, they're my God. Barely even they there. probably see some shit, oh, too. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I feel like there is... Somebody There's a whole fucking TV show about this. Below Deck, <laughs> yes. right? I, somebody suggested that to me. because it's like trash tv but it's like trash tv they see some shit because they're like you said just wallpaper they're just like there people are so fucking arrogant yeah watch below deck and get enraged because that's why i watch Mm -hmm. it i watch it for the chefs who make really great food yeah and for the rage watching yeah like wow these fucking rich people don't appreciate anything after i finish 90 day fiance (laughs) that's my next work watch there's a couple different versions of it okay well i'll stop i'll do the same thing i did with 90 day which is like pull up the list and watch all of them in order So they're on this boat with all these people, but they're alone. (laughs) And so on September 24th of 2004, Michelle woke up in her cabin and rolled over and realized that Mark was gone. She quickly rushed upstairs and realized that he was like gone, gone. He did not have his things there. His passport was gone. She searched everything like all of his stuff was gone. 
The captain docked the yacht, and she quickly began to try to contact friends and family who were in the area to help find him. Now, when you dock your boat, you have to pay for it, like kind of like a rental dock fee. Okay. And as the days grew on, Michelle started facing thousands and thousands of dollars in boat docking fees. Oh, because the boat was just sitting there. Just sitting there. Oh, boy. And finally, she asked the captain what she could do, and he gave her an emergency contact number that Mark had given her. And she's like, okay, well, let me see if I can call this. She didn't know who it was. There was no information. She's like, well, he just gave me this number in case of an emergency that you can contact Either of you can contact, you know, if there's any problems. Ooh, that's sketchy. So she called the number, and to her surprise, Mark answered the phone. What the fuck? (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I was not expecting that. I'll be honest. I thought it was going to be some sketchy third party. After she's like, hello, he realized it was Michelle. Okay. And then hung up the phone. (laughs) So she flew back to the United States and reported him missing and went searching. And left the boat. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> she left the boat. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. left the boat and died. I mean, I guess it's mm-hmm. his money. She went into his office and found some really startling evidence. Uh, she found piles and piles of shredded documents, which she started to kind of piece back together to be like this massive pile. Like, where did this, these documents come from? So she started piecing some of them together and she realized it was hotel receipts for Paris, like Parisian hotels. Oh. They weren't set to go to Paris. Okay. She also found shredded documents regarding a flight to France, as well as books on how to speak Italian in his desk drawers. And in his office was piles and piles of survivalist gear. This is literally like, I feel like if you were to make a movie and the the main character in the movie starts piecing the mystery together, Mm -hmm. it's like the flash of the Italian language book, the hotel receipts to Paris, like... (laughs) everything that you would need wow yeah that's so funny so she was getting really concerned she had not seen any of these things before and he's not one to shred like entire fucking booklets of paper so she's like this is alarming so she called the fbi and they put out an apb because as it turns out mark had hundreds of lawsuits for malpractice being filed against him and she was not aware that it was hundreds of lawsuits. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. He was actually in trouble of losing his medical license, all of which Michelle had no fucking clue was happening. What? Like, not just the lawsuits, but the Indiana Board of Health was like, you're sent letters, which were in the shredded pile, of like, you're going to lose your fucking license. You have to report to us. So Michelle then received a strange phone call from a private jet company they had used to fly to Greece. There was a ticket for her to fly to Paris from Greece and then from Paris home. So she went to Paris and she took the shredded papers with her that were for the hotel that was in Paris. And she went there to see, like, was he there? Like, what is going on? Why was there a plane ticket? So she comes to the front desk and she's like, I'm looking for my husband. And they look up on the computer and they're like, oh, he actually just checked out yesterday. What? (laughs) So there was an extra plane ticket for her to go with him. Yes. So what was supposed to happen was that phone call was supposed to happen while she was still on the boat. But because she docked the boat and left, she never got the original phone call. She was supposed to fly from Greece to Paris. And then there was another flight booked for her to fly from Paris to go back home. Okay. So while she was in Paris, 
she decided to check out some of the spots that they used to go to to see if maybe he was there because he had just checked out the day before. So maybe he was still in the city. She could not find him. And after she exhausted herself in Paris, she decided to fly back to Chicago to look for Mark because that's where he was originally from um, when they met. Okay. So then began to get all of these fucking calls, like nonstop on her phone, call after call after call. And it was from creditors. Oh, my God. Apparently, Mark was $6 million in debt. Damn. I mean, it's interesting to me that she doesn't have access to any of the bank accounts, but, mm-hmm. like, her name obviously She's is on all the sure as shit on all of the credit, What like, all of, mm-hmm. I'm sure all the property, all the... Yep. Wow. So, partially, the $6 million debt was a default of the bank loan on their house. Oh. <gasps> Oh, my God. He also had several credit cards in Europe that he was using to buy things that were, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. He also took money out of the safes that were at the home, um, and she found receipts that he had traded a large sum of cash for a bunch of diamonds. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile. Oh, my God. This is um, wild. I just got to say, this is fucking wild. discovering all this stuff and she is just upset she sinks into a massive depression she's not sure what to do um she realizes that he wasn't missing and that he ran away and so she's desperately like looking for him going to all of these places he was also a gambler so she like took a trip to las vegas to see if maybe he was at some of the spots they they used to go to gamble she called some of her contacts in Monaco because that's a big gambling area just to see if there's anyone who had seen him. Yeah. And as she was doing this, desperately looking for him, the malpractice suits started to like get bigger and bigger, like more people were being added to it. Yeah. Mark had been accused of unlawfully performing unnecessary surgeries on patients. Wow. So he was performing sinus surgeries on people that didn't need it. So that he could claim the money through health insurance. Oh, my God. You know, I was so I was just thinking because she reported him missing Mm -hmm. to the police. It's interesting that like these creditors and stuff would continue to go after her because I would assume they would have access to the police reports like or at least she would be able to be like. I didn't know about any of this. Like he, yeah, that's the thing with debt. They don't care. I know. (laughs) I know. I mean, you can die, and creditors will call your loved ones for debt. Oh yeah. So I'm not at all surprised. Yeah, yeah. But it just is like I don't know. I would think there would be some way she could be like, I literally don't know where my husband is. Here's the police report to prove it. But well, she did something to get out of it. Um, she waited until 2005 and in october of that year she filed for bankruptcy to separate herself from her husband's debt and lawsuits so she filed for bankruptcy that cleared any part of her you know debt to that and she then filed for divorce immediately stating abandonment and during that time she went on to finish her degree in psychology while working two jobs while like Getting a divorce from her missing husband and filing for bankruptcy. Good for her. I mean, not great that you had to file for bankruptcy, but like, Mm -hmm. at least she was like, I have a plan to get out of this. And I don't care. I'm going to like make myself better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Then in December of 2009, just short five years later, Michelle received a phone call from America's Most Wanted. (laughs) 
The now TV see, show? Yes. Okay. Now you see, during the time after she divorced him, the FBI was really interested in finding him because of all of the debt he accrued and all of the malpractice lawsuits. So he got put on America's Most Wanted list. Oh my God. She had no fucking idea because she had divorced him and she's like, moving on. Yeah. Mark the fuck who? Yeah. Um, but Mark had been found, uh, like they had called her to say that Mark had been found. Oh my God. Just like, let's let you know, we're going to air an update. And she's like, what? An update? Like, I didn't even know there was an episode in the first place. She's like, we're not married That's anymore. Wild. And they're like, oh, well, they, they found him. Yeah. And so he was found living in a tent in the Mount, the Swiss Alps of Italy. In a tent. In a tent. Oh, my God. And the reason he was found was because he was living in a small town in Italy up near the mountains. He was doing odd jobs and he lived in an apartment in the village and he failed to pay someone and they reported it immediately to the police, which wow. prompted his capture. Now, he was actually out in a tent because he was going to write a book about being a survivalist in Europe. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Under a nom de plume. He was going to write this oh book, which God. is like, they yeah. would have figured out who you were, you fucking idiot, first of all. So, so. how long was he missing for uh 2004 to 2009 oh i mean that's pretty i mean five years Mm -hmm. that's pretty impressive yeah so they arrested him and brought him into custody and as they were trying to bring him into custody in italy he took a knife out of his bag and stabbed himself in the neck oh my god now he didn't kill himself oh oh good good (laughs) But he did have to go to the hospital for a few days before he was then extradited back to the United States. Wow. He and really did not want yeah. to. His suicide come back. did nothing to like stop the charges or like stop the extradition. They were like, all right, as soon as you're able to fly, you're flying back to the United States. Yeah. Weinberger had been, like I said, performing sinus surgeries on patients who did not need it. Um, and if you have a deviated septum or a sinus defects, they perform the surgery that kind of like clears the passages for you. So he was doing it to people who didn't need it. It was more than likely that these people had other issues like allergies and things like that that were actually their breathing problems. Um, he performed surgeries on over 300 patients to be exact. Oh my God. Um, And he was performing about 7 to 15 surgeries a week, according to his ex-wife. And, you know, who knows how many of those every week were fake, but he committed this crime against over 300 people performing surgeries they did not need. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, the first first case of this actually was reported in October of 2002. So those malpractice lawsuits started, like, Almost right away after them getting married. Yeah. It was 2000 that they They got got married married, in 2000. So. yeah. He was pretty quickly getting sued. And the woman who had the first fraud case against him, it was actually her lawyer acting on behalf of her estate because the woman had died of throat cancer. um, And she filed, they filed a complaint for her in to the Indiana Department of Insurance. The complaint claimed that Weinberger failed to diagnose her cancer and instead carried out an unnecessary operation on her sinuses that would paid for by her insurance company. Wow. Yeah, because so, as an ENT, he should have been able to yeah, so see that. Yes, she was and- complaining of, like, 
like throat issues. And he was like, oh, well, it's probably drainage down the back of your throat from your sinuses. Mm. So we're going to perform the sinus surgery and that should stop the drainage issue and your throat issue should go away. Well, it turns out she had throat cancer. Wow. So that was the very first fraud case. And you can see like it just escalated from there. 300 people. You know? That's that's Um, so many. That is so many people. It's crazy. Now, after extradition, Weinberger was taken into court in 2002. Or 2012, I mean. Okay. uh, And he pled guilty to 22 charges of health insurance fraud in federal court and was sentenced to seven years. Damn. But his malpractice lawsuits in the state of Indiana did not go to court. Instead, they reached a settlement. Okay. Can you guess what the settlement amount was? Um, Just throw a number out. I would say... For 300 people. For 300 people? Mm-hmm. Like 2.2 million. You are so low. $55 million. Wow. Which would be paid out to 282 people. Okay. Um, those are the only complaints in the case. There, okay. there were people they suspected that also had the surgery that just didn't come forward. Yeah. Or weren't yeah. really aware. Yeah. Um, the first $250,000 was paid by Weinberger, uh, his malpractice insurer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest. Yeah, but $250,000 in $55 million is like a yeah. drop in the bucket. So the rest of the money would actually be paid out from a state insurance commission fund. Um, that Indiana has, so it kind of is like a backup in case um, people can't pay out the money, gotcha. so that they still get the money. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this is actually this particular case was a kind of landmark case for Indiana because usually the cap for that is like a million dollars. Yeah, for settlement payout per because, person. I'm guessing, um, or like yeah, per. per- yeah, case. per case. Yeah, um, and because of the just extraordinary nature of this case, they changed it up a little bit and had only part of it paid by the malpractice insurer and through a different commission fund so that those people those 280 people could get something yeah so that's why the 55 million dollar amount was so high gotcha but he did serve his seven years in jail um he had his license taken away obviously and uh you know according to a lot of the newspaper articles he's kind of disappeared good no one's really sure what he's doing good Um, well i mean his ex-wife, Michelle, was doing great. Good. She married. She is a psychologist now, and she did a bunch of really great stories. I think one was for Dateline, um, and, you know, she is better now than ever. Good. Good for her. <laughs> but that is the case of the wow. the flight the flighty doctor, uh, Mark Weinberger, ex-doctor. Oh, my God. Ex-doctor. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. This is a fucking roller coaster. <laughs> Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In an unusual twist, I feel like, for our episodes, <laughs> I'm going to take you way, way back. Oh my gosh, we're reversing it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so this one, I I personally have never heard of this. I'm curious for our doctor friends out in the Pacific Northwest if this is something that they add into the curriculum. Oh, God. It's kind of fucking crazy. How to perform surgery while cutting hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I would love to see like old medical textbooks from the days of Dr. Barber's. Well, they probably wouldn't have them. No. That was before really it's medical all just school. Intuition and luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are going to talk about Linda Hazard. Ooh. Are you familiar? I'm not, but the last name is great. It's a great <laughs> last name. Yeah. Um, so Linda Hazard, who was originally born Linda Burfield, Hazard's way better, mm-hmm. um, who was born in Minnesota in Ooh. 1867. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. By the time she was 18, she had married and had two children. As, As you, you do. do. Yeah. <laughs> but in 1898, Hazard left her family and headed to Minneapolis, where she decided to pursue her real passion, mm. medicine. Right? Yeah. So it sounds really uplifting. In 1902, <laughs> she opened her first clinic where she yeah. practiced a fasting treatment. Uh-oh. She <laughs> she believed to cure everything from headaches to tuberculosis. This is very similar to some of the stuff we talked about during the live show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Hazard claimed that the cause of illness was impure blood as oh a result God, of <laughs> impaired digestion. Oh, my God. Do you, okay. Uh, homework for everyone. Look up how Kellogg's cereal was created. Very yes. similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, you might have noticed, Janelle, that she kind of skipped a couple of steps. Did she go to think? school? <laughs> Um, I don't really think that like medical school is essential training Mm -hmm. at all. I don't know. I don't know about you, but like, really, is medical school that important? I mean, yes. (laughs) Well, she did. Otherwise, you're going to learn by just hacking up bodies on your own. (laughs) She didn't go to medical school. No. Okay, Um, but I thought. (laughs) She did. I should say she claimed to have been trained by Dr. Edward Hooker Dewey. Now, that sounds like a man who does doctoring out the back of a van. (laughs) Dr. Dewey Mm -hmm. uh, was actually a trained doctor. He was actually a doctor. Um, He received a medical degree from the University of Michigan. I actually think that used to be a thing. Same thing with lawyers, where you could be an apprentice to a lawyer and a doctor and not have to go to medical school. That's technically still a thing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was for doctors, but 1902. 
two. I don't know. Yeah. And that might have been when things started to change. Though. Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she <laughs> claimed to have been trained under under Dr. Edward Hooker Dewey. Um, he, like I said, he got his medical degree from University of Michigan. He was also a huge proponent of this fasting um, mm-hmm. idea. And he's actually credited as the inventor of the no breakfast plan, oh, which is Jesus. exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. It's this idea of not Dr. eating. Dr. Oz also believes in this. <laughs> yeah. Not eating breakfast, only mm-hmm. having two meals a day, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Dewey also believed that fasting was a cure-all, which was something that was kind of like the cure. This idea of like a cure-all was super popular. Yes. At this point in time. One pill does everything. Yes. Cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> Just do cocaine. cocaine about it. Yeah. So she opens this clinic in Minneapolis. <laughs> Um, I, I'm laughing because it's all so ridiculous. Oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Just as quickly as Hazard opens her clinic, patients begin dying <laughs> under her care. Oh, I wonder why. You see, it wasn't just as simple as fasting. Fasting mm-hmm. kind of sounds not too terrible. Yeah. Um, but Hazard's plan focused on extreme star- starvation oh, no. combined with severe beatings because that makes it work better for some reason. Yeah, logic, right? <laughs> No pain, no not gain. (laughs) (laughs) Her first patient death happened in 1902. Um, Police began investigating and the coroner ruled that the death was a result of starvation. But because she wasn't actually licensed to practice medicine, Mm. she was unable to be prosecuted for death. (sighs) I mean... This is like there is a little loophole clause like these people were there out of their own free will. Yeah, which is something that will come up again later. But like Mm -hmm. they couldn't like get her for malpractice because technically she wasn't a doctor in the Mm -hmm. state of Minnesota. So like and there's probably no impersonating a doctor kind of a situation yet. No, or at least they didn't. Yeah, they didn't have any like laws on the books about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also this like small issue of the patient's valuables being missing, but oh no, when Hazard was asked about oh, it, how? she just like dodged the questions. And we're talking like rings and like mm. pocketbooks and stuff. Okay. She just kind of dodged the question, and they didn't really push her very much on it. Mm-hmm. Now, later that same year, Linda met Sam Hazard, <laughs> whom she married shortly after. Now, Sam Hazard is kind of his own Zone hazard. Disa- disaster yeah. <laughs> story. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a West Point graduate who oh okay. had alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, the alcoholism pretty much ruined any any chance he had to make it in the Did military. Did he try fasting about it? <laughs> I wonder if that's like one of the first things she tried with him. Like, mm-hmm. maybe you should fast. But it doesn't seem to me like he did. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've seen pictures of him and he looked very healthy. So, okay. you know. I mean, some people swear by fasting. There are pe- proponents of this still. It has its place, mm-hmm. I think, for specific things, but not long term. Blood tests. Yeah. <laughs> and N- surgeries. Not long term. <laughs> it does not do your body any good Mm -hmm. um especially not this fasting plan yeah fasting it's starvation uh so he had alcoholism sam had alcoholism wasn't going to make it in the military he actually his career came to an end after he misappropriated army funds um Mm, later he would missing money things later he would be linda's um 
like financial advisor advisor <laughs> guy. Yeah, she, okay. he took care of the finances. Mm-hmm. So Sam and Linda Hazard were married in 1904, but trouble sort of followed Sam into this marriage as well because you see. Sam had been married twice before uh-huh. and had failed to divorce his most recent wife. That's just so much work. You gotta like sign papers. Yeah, so he just. was he was pretty quickly prosecuted for bigamy and then spent two years in jail. Bigamy jail. <laughs> which I find Which is where really- you have three times the amount of wives <laughs> that you had before. <laughs> uh- I find really interesting like how quickly he was prosecuted for bigamy, but like Linda Hazard just, like, kills patients that they're like, sorry, that's, we can't. Right? You can't have too many damn wives, sir. Oh <laughs> that seems to be You're the taking more too many thing. from the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> After his release in 1906, Sam and Linda Hazard moved from Minneapolis to the Pacific Northwest, where they purchased 40 acres of land in Alala, Washington. Mm, okay. it, this is kind of like the Puget Sound mm-hmm. area. And it was there where Hazard dreamed that she was going to build her new medical facility called Wilderness Heights. Okay, that definitely sounds like a resort. (laughs) Now, if you're like me, you were probably wondering how she was able to move to another state and, like, continue practicing medicine. Oh, my God. Nobody cares. You you could go next door and pretend you're somebody else completely during this time. True. (laughs) There were actually laws in Washington at the time. Uh, regulating who could practice medicine. But Washington State contained a loophole that grandfathered in practitioners of alternative medicine. So they were like, welcome, <laughs> to, the alternative st- medicine. welcome to the state of Washington. Here's your uh, medical license. Yes, complimentary medical license for just living here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she was an a- she was actually a licensed doctor in the state of Washington. Wild how things work. <laughs> it's 1900s logic for you. I know. I know. And speaking of which, this was like very much still the time of like quack medicine mm-hmm. and these sort of like fad medical oh, treatments yeah. mm-hmm. um, where people Lots are like eugenics in yeah. medicine. <laughs> I'm feeling some digestive upset. Let mm-hmm. me go to a 12 week. <laughs> Let me leech you still. <laughs> yeah. So uh, much arsenic being prescribed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was definitely like a, a type of crowd that was attracted to this mm-hmm. type of treatment. Um, there was also a, in Washington specifically, this very large community of the sort of free thinkers and theosophists. Mm. Um, well, a in, good theosophist. Yeah. <laughs> and they, sometimes fast. If, if <laughs> you don't know, theosophy is kind of like its own. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a very other thing. It's its own thing. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's like a religion that is very heavy on meditation and spiritualism mm-hmm. and revelation and this sort of like higher consciousness yes. type deal. So Early similar to like, Yeah. Similar to like the Christian science-y stuff that we were talking about before and some yeah. of the other spiritual movements that we've talked about. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a wild fucking time during yeah. this period with crazy religions coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. And there was some like Christianity mix in. It was like this kind of meld between Christianity and this sort of like Eastern philosophy. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So they were down for this kind of Mm -hmm. shit. (laughs) They were like fast me to death. (laughs) Um, Literally. Um, So needless to say, there were many, a well-to-do woman that like visited wilderness heights for just about anything. Mm -hmm. And it was this sort of, like I said, well-to-do, wealthy crowd. Patients could be there 
anywhere from a few days to a few weeks to a few months. Now, according to Seattle Terrors, quote, some of Linda's treatments included multiple daily enemas, massages, heavy quote on massages that Uh usually included severe beatings and starvation inducing diets. Um, Okay, so like. Korean massages, there's a sect of Korean massage that where they beat you with bamboo sticks and stuff. So yeah. there, that is a thing. <laughs> yeah, but this is like, <laughs> like extreme. Like punching you in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a big massage, kidney punch. Massage. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you um, feel better now? <laughs> her patients were usually fed one orange and some strained tomato juice every few days. That Maybe some soup if so they were acidic. lucky. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Wilderness Heights wasn't open long before Hazard claimed her first patient, her first Washington victim, uh, Daisy Maud Hagland. Now, Hagland was born to Norwegian immigrant parents who were incredibly wealthy. They, like, owned this huge patch of land in Washington. When she visited Hazard, Hagland was placed on a 50-day fast she died at the age of 38 on February 26, 1908, leaving behind a three-year-old son. Soon after, Hagelin was followed by Ida Wilcox later in 1908, Blanche Tyndale and Viola Heaton in 1909, Maud Whitney in 1910, and Earl Edward Edward Erdman in 1911. A lot of women. Mostly women. Yeah. There, there were some men that visited, but it was mostly women, Yeah. Despite most of these deaths being covered by the local papers, patients, like, just continued to flood in. Like, it was... Not surprising. It's like, (laughs) well, I guess that's just part of it, is, like, people sometimes die. Mm -hmm. These initial deaths were followed by Frank Southard, attorney and publisher, along with Ivan Flux, who had fasted for 53 days. What? (laughs) In Flux's case, Hazard managed to get her hands on most of his assets, and it was reported that he had died with only $70 to his name. And this is something that definitely would be a pattern as well, where Hazard would sort of like con or force her patients to sign over valuables and belongings or add her as like a beneficiary to their will or like anything to get the assets that they had. Although the coroner listed starvation as the cause of death on some of the autopsy reports, if Hazard did the autopsies herself before the coroner got to them. Interesting. It was almost always listed as a pre-existing condition as the cause. Yep. Pre-existing before we started fasting, which is why they started fasting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She came in for indigestion, and I'm pretty sure that's what killed her. (laughs) Yeah. Of course. Heartburn kills everyone. (laughs) As more and more patients died, authorities looked into what could be done to stop her. Uh, Hazard somehow, like, continued to get lucky under the law, and of course this is no exception. Um, When asked about intervention, the Seattle health director said he couldn't intervene because she was licensed by the state and patients, the patients were willing participants in her program. So before, it was because she wasn't technically licensed. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, well, she's licensed, but, like, these patients are going there willingly. Like, there's not really much that we... (laughs) We can do about oh my it. God. Okay. <laughs> but he did make it clear that he would continue to moder- monitor Wilderness Heights. And in the event that Hazard began treating children, like would step in at that mm, point. He okay. was like, if kids start getting treated there and I find out about it, like that is interesting logic. Which yeah. I guess it's a good line in the sand to have, but mm. like. 
<laughs> I don't know. It just seems a very weird line to have. Yeah, it's very interesting that they didn't have anything in place to take licenses away. Yeah, yeah. It was around this time that Hazard managed to wrangle Claire and Dorothea Williamson. The Williamson sisters were incredibly wealthy British socialites. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> also happened to be super into alternative medicine. Mm-hmm. They were visiting Victoria, British Columbia, when they came across an ad for Wilderness Heights and Linda Hazard's breakthrough fasting treatment. Mm. And they were like, this sounds pretty interesting. Let's go check it out. Although neither of them, like, really had anything particularly wrong with them. They were like, we could use a pick-me-up. Let's go. (laughs) I'm feeling a bit dull today. Mm -hmm. They also decided not to tell their family where they were going, but the family sort of knew that they were these sort of kooky sisters that were into these alternative medicines and really just didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. It's like, oh, let let Claire and Dorothea go off on their own and do what I, they just <laughs> they're just like, do your thing. Leave us out of it. Mm-hmm. In 1911, the Williamson sisters were taken to the Buena Vista apartments where they subsisted primarily on a thin vegetable broth. Jesus. Okay. Dr. Hazard would show up to conduct enemas and massage beatings. Uh, She also offered to very, very graciously store the sisters' diamond rings and real estate deeds that apparently you travel Ooh, with in the early 1900s. with all of this information. <laughs> They're like, let me just put this in this in our office safe for for safety, like for the duration of your stay. Mm-hmm. It'll be safe in our office, I, I promise. I can't imagine how fucking dehydrated these people are after doing enemas and only having broth. Yeah. Like, it's, you might as well not even drink the broth. You're just sucking all of the moisture out of your body. Yeah. Yeah. Also, who travels with deeds? I know. That is just <laughs> so, so funny. Uh, it took just under a month for Claire and Dorothea Williamson to become delirious and emaciated. Mm-hmm. At this point, the sisters, who both weighed around 70 pounds, were transferred by ambulance to the Alala facility. Uh, they were staying in like off-campus apartments, so they got transferred mm-hmm. to Wilderness Heights, but not before Hazard's attorney obtained a signature from Claire, adding Hazard to her will. Oh, this Jesus. is from History Link. She she added to her will quote a monthly stipend of twenty six pounds sterling per year to the Hazards Institute, adding that in case of death she wanted her body cremated under the charge and direction of Linda Burfield Hazard. Sus, as the kids say. (laughs) Highly sus. Not long after the move, Dorothea sent a letter to Margaret Conway, who was the Williamson's, the Williamson sister's childhood doctor in Australia. And after reading the letter, Conway was like, something is off. Like, something is a little weird here. So she decided to sail to Seattle by way of Vancouver. And immediately upon her arrival, Conway was told Claire Williamson was dead. Yikes. Okay. So she was taken to view the embalmed body. She claimed that she did not recognize it as Claire. Mm. Conway was then allowed to see Dorothea Williamson, who begged to be taken away from Wilderness Heights. Mm. Now, the following day, Dorothea withdrew her request. She was kind of like, this is really good for me. You know, I feel like this is working. I want to stay. Obviously, Conway didn't believe it. Yeah. (laughs) 
for one second. And so she decided to stick around to kind of just like she was trying to sneak. Um, they said like flour into her broth yeah. to just like mm-hmm. get a little something more mm-hmm. substantial in her stomach. Uh, when all of the patients were let out together, which is something that didn't really happen. Like the patients were pretty much cordoned on their own, mm-hmm. but they were let out together for a 4th of July celebration. Two other patients approached Conway and begged her to help them get out. Mm-hmm. Conway also noticed that Hazard was now wearing the deceased Claire's dressing gown and her favorite hat around the facility. And she had been informed that Hazard had been given power of attorney for uh, Dorothea. Mm. All so very clear. Yes. Now, Conway did attempt to remove Dorothea from the property, but was told that the Hazards had been made Dorothea's legal guardian and she would stay there for the rest of her life. No. No. At some point, Conway managed to sneak off the property to send a wire to Claire and Dorothea's uncle, who lived in Portland. And he was like, oh, fuck no, Mm -hmm. and traveled to Wilderness Heights, where he demanded Dorothea's release, who at this point only weighed 50 pounds. Oh, my God. Hazard gave them a bill for $2,000, which, again, this is Mm -hmm. early 1900s. That's a fucking lot. Yeah. Um, And although a lower price was negotiated, they were able to get Dorothea Williamson released. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's safe to say at this point, it's pretty unlikely that Hazard would have been held accountable for any of this at all. If it wasn't for the British vice consul in Tacoma, Washington, like Mm. really putting pressure on the County. Mm -hmm. After discovering that there were a ton of other wealthy individuals who had been sort of held captive or died under Hazard's care, the consul began putting pressure on Kitsap County to prosecute. But the county was like, we can't afford to we can't afford to prosecute. So Dorothea Williamson offered to foot the bill for the prosecution. Oh my God. And Linda, what? And Linda Hazard was arrested in August 1911. Oh my God. How so, can they not afford? How much does it cost? There's part of me that feels like if you had now, granted, a lot of these wealthy people are like staying on campus at her mm-hmm. place, right? But obviously there's like enough around that they would be pumping money into the economy, I would yeah. think. Mm-hmm. How could you not? <laughs> I don't know. That's so like such bullshit. You can't afford to prosecute a murderer. It doesn't even make sense. It's like a whole me. fucking job. Make it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now again from History Link quote, Dr. Hazard said that she was being persecuted because she was a successful woman and that a cabal of traditional doctors resented her success again? <laughs> and opposed natural cures. But yeah, this time it's actually cabal. <laughs> um, she told reporters, I intend to get on the stand and show up that bunch. They've been playing checkers, but it's my move. I'll show oh, them a thing. Say, but I'm playing 3D chess. <laughs> I'll show them a thing or two when I get on the stand. End quote. Yeah, all this jewelry that you stolen and the nice gown you're in from yeah, somebody right? else that you stole from. She did not, in fact, take the stand. <laughs> also, her lawyers were like, no fucking way. Which, good lawyering, to be honest. Don't, don't. Not when you get this kind of crazy. Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, she did attempt to influence witnesses by signaling to them while they were on the stand. 
But the, signal like what? Like I don't know. baseball signal? Yeah. Just like pull it out of your ear, booping her nose? Like just a, you know, a no, finger uh-uh. across the neck. <laughs> um, or like a spoon coming in, but like, uh, take it away. <laughs> Starve you more. Tonight? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the judge scolded her for this. Like they noticed that the judge was like, knock it off. like the judge is facing her too, you yeah. fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, there were plenty of people who came out in support of Hazard, both staff and patients. The people who survived. Yeah. Yeah. One of these witnesses was John Ivar Halgund, husband to uh, Hagland, husband to Hazard's first Washington victim, Daisy Hagland. I'm sorry. What? Yes, he came out in support of Dr. Hazard. You know, my wife's dead, but we're all better off now. <laughs> yeah. Stop. In fact, he had taken their son to her for treatment as many as three times a week following his wife's death. What is this guy smoking? Probably yeah. some prescription cocaine. <laughs> he got on the stand and said that despite his wife dying in her care, he had faith. And Dr. Hazard, oh, he was like, off. yeah, no, Get she's out fine. Of here. My wife died, but like, it was probably for the best. I mean, she was <laughs> That's sick. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible, yeah. But the evidence, including medical testimony, act- like actual medicine, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a very neat paper trail that she kept that... You know, you got to keep track of all the stolen goods. Yeah. Yeah. Plus all of they had all of these like all the broth receipts, <laughs> all of these forged contracts oh for like God. assets. No. And like mm-hmm. she had all of it. It was all overwhelmingly against Hazard. And she was convicted of manslaughter. I'm shocked. A lot of people, a lot of the papers at the time were like, if she was a man, she would have been convicted of murder. Yeah. But because she was a lady, mm-hmm. ladies don't, they don't murder. don't really do it crimes. It's just, it's just her brain, her lady brain that's confusing her. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she needs to fast about yeah, it. Yeah, right? Fast about it. <laughs> Hazard killed an additional two people Stop. while awaiting sentencing. <laughs> She's still doctoring all the way into jail. Yeah. Eventually, like to the bailiff, like you should fast about it. Hey, listen, I'll give you a discount on my treatment. You know what's really good? Broth and getting water shut up your asshole. I swear by it. (laughs) Eventually, Hazard served two years in prison in Walla Walla. Mm. Upon her release, she and Sam moved to New Zealand, where they set up shop as physician, dietitian, and osteopath. Okay. I'm getting some bad. Yeah, you're going to be. There's like one paragraph left and it's just going to piss you the fuck Uh, off. (laughs) Because there are some practices that are like helpful that get lumped into these kinds of like holistic medicine. And so it's very difficult to listen to people fucking it up on purpose. (laughs) She continued treating patients. Mm -hmm. She wrote another book. Mm -hmm. By this point, she's written like four books. Uh, And they made a ton of money. Made a fuckload of money. Hazard eventually saved up enough money to build her dream facility. She had built, um, she had already like built a small building on the property in Alala, but like had dreams of this like larger sanitarium facility. Mm-hmm. And so Sam and Linda Hazard traveled back to Alala and built the new facility at what was now being called um, colloquially, colloquially Starvation Heights. Wow. Yes. Okay. I mean, uh, great name. By the people. I, I know. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of great. It mm-hmm. is kind of great. Obviously, she still called it Wilderness Heights, but it was yeah. like post-trial. Um, because she had been stripped of her already sketchy medical license, 
She had to open the sanitarium as a quote unquote school of health rather than a treatment facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her can treatment her treatments continued in the same manner <laughs> as they did. I can't before. understand it. In 1935, the school burned to the ground. 1935. <laughs> this is how- Yes. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> For real. Okay. She just she was like Okay. She got out of prison. They went to New Zealand. She made some money where she treated patients and wrote a book, came back, built a medical facility that wasn't actually called a medical facility. So, like, technically it wasn't a medical facility. Like a resort. Yeah. But she still treated people in the same way. And then, yeah, it burned to the ground in 1935. I can't. And Linda Hazard died three days later. From starvation? She had been feeling unwell and decided to do her own fasting cure, resulting in her death. I mean... What a poetic way to go. I know. I know. <laughs> um, there are still some of the buildings on the Alala property, and they do have tales of high paranormal activity. Ooh. If you're ever out in Washington. Um, it's just people walking around going, I'm hungry. <laughs> Feed me. Feed me. Get me out of here. Although 12 deaths have officially been attributed to Dr. Linda Hazard, it is believed that the actual death count is closer to 40. I mean, that sounds kind of low. It sounds uh, low, but if you think about it, this is also kind of like an exclusive facility mm, for rich people yeah. that were doing and courses of fasting survive. for like 50-something yeah, days, yeah. you know? I will also say that Hazard's books continue to be sold in many a natural healing bookstore. What are they called? People, I am not going oh, to tell anybody no. that. You don't need to find these things. They're gross. I just want to know so I can be like, if I ever see anyone reading it, slap it out of their hand. So so you could know. Um, actually, let me pull it up. If you're I, on a train I'm and you see someone reading this, notes. slap it out of their hand. Yeah. And say, she murdered 12 to 40 people. <laughs> Do you know what it does to you when you don't eat? Um, there is another, there's also a really great book about this whole thing called Starvation Heights. Mm-hmm. I forget who the author is, but this it'll is be very Dr. Oz. Notes. It's like Dr. Oz just stole all of this information from her because he's also a like, don't eat breakfast, do a fast kind of a person. Yeah. And he's also yeah. not a real doctor, just so everybody knows. Um, it's by Starvation Heights, the true story of an American doctor and the murder of a British heiress by Greg mm-hmm. Olson. That is very good. And her books, let's see. The first was Fasting for the Cure of Disease, published in 1908, followed by Diet in Disease and Systematic Cleansing in 1917, a fifth revised and amplified edition of Fasting for the Cure of Disease was published in 1927 under the title Scientific Fasting, The Ancient and Modern Key to Health. No, anytime you do ancient and modern in there and key to health. And then she wrote the one that, wait, um, let me see. 1927. Oh, yeah. So that might have been the one that she redid while she was in New Zealand. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so some of those you can still find. um, Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the story of Linda Hazard. It's kind of wild. Like the fringe medicine medicine things that used to and still happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um... Before you decide to fast for 50 days with only broth, why don't you uh, check out this podcast? (laughs) 
Eat a fucking cookie. <laughs> eat, a, eat a cookie while you listen to the podcast. Don't do the fast. Hi, I'm Ellen, and I'm scared we exist in the Matrix. I'm Jaslyn, and I'm bad at ad-libbing. <laughs> and you're listening to High Expectations, the promo. For our international listeners, you can appreciate our cute New Zealand accents. For our local listeners, you might bump into us in the street three times in the same hour. Our podcast is about Pop culture, sexuality, relationships, interesting hobbies, banter, and ragging on each other. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, or anywhere you might like to find podcasts. Yay! Please subscribe. Goodbye! All right, so that has been our show. Good time. I don't think that we have any events. No. Coming up. And when is this coming out again? <laughs> I don't even know. But just so you guys know, mm-hmm. we are not recording the month of October. Yes. So you're not really going to be hearing anything new from us for about a month. Mm-hmm. But we will be drop- dropping a little something special into the feed. We're Some not going to tell you what. Sauce. Yeah. <laughs> secret things. But keep an eye out for it. Um, we need a break. It'll be the yeah. first break we've had in five years. So. Yeah. There's a lot nice. of things happening. Yeah. Uh, a lot of traveling. Lot yes. Of for both of us. Art for sure. making. Yeah. <laughs> so just a heads up on that. Um, Janelle, you got anything else? I don't. <laughs> I have nothing. Cool. I'm tapped out. Cool. Don't go to the doctor without researching first. I don't know. Second <laughs> opinion. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. Yay! <laughs> This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. The doctor will see you now. (laughs) Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, I like that. The doctor is in. The doctor is. We should have started with that. (laughs) The doctor is dead. (laughs) It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.